Hi, I'm Pastor Tom Holliday, and I want to welcome you to our study of the Book of Romans. We're beginning this week a study in Romans chapter 11, which is really the end of a section of the Book of Romans. Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 are all about God's sovereignty. There's some tough concepts in this chapter, but there's also one great truth, the truth that God is in control of human history. There are a number of different ways to understand history. I'm a lover of history, and you can understand history as political history, or you can study it as military history. You can study history as literary history or even everyday history. But none of those in the end are adequate because they leave out the main character and the primary force of human history. Romans chapter 11 is a glimpse at history from God's perspective. What if you could have sat down with Churchill and Roosevelt at the end of World War II and listened to them talk about the events that shaped a world? Listen to the inside scoop on that story. Well, this chapter, Romans chapter 11, is like sitting down with God to get his viewpoint on world history. And his viewpoint is this, God isn't finished. One of the questions in this chapter, Romans 11, is what is the filter through which you look at history? And it's a reminder in this chapter to look at history through the filter of God's sovereignty, his hand at work in the history of man, the fact that God is in control. All of history really is his story. And Romans 11 is about God's work in history. You see God's plan for people working all through history. It's about God's work in nations. In fact, I just want to warn you from the beginning, if you apply much of what we're going to look at in this chapter to individuals, it doesn't make any sense. This is a sweeping look. Whole nations are talked about as rejecting him or accepting him. Each of us is still individually accountable, but God also tells us in this chapter that there is something that happens in nations that's important. And we see how he deals with the nations of the Jews and the Gentiles in Romans 11. Romans 11 is not only about God's work in history and in nations, it's also about God's work in you. Several times in this chapter, Paul notes that he is saying this for the benefit of you. He doesn't want us just to understand. He wants us to be changed by what we understand. And in this look at God's work in human history, Paul begins the chapter with a question. The question is, did God reject his people? His people, the nation of Israel, such a small country, but it's not about just that piece of geography. It's about a people, the people that God has chosen for his purposes. And Paul begins this chapter by asking, did God reject his people? And the answer is immediate, no, no. Paul reminds us in these verses that the present lack of faith in the people of Israel is not total and it's not final. In fact, he shares three quick proofs that God has not rejected his people. First of all, he says in verse 1, I am an Israelite. By no means, he says, has God rejected his people. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. The one who is writing these very words has come to faith in God through Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying right there you have proof there's not total rejection. Here's one at least who has not rejected God's offer of faith through Jesus Christ. And then he offers a second quick proof. Second proof is a reminder of something in the Old Testament. He says, remember, remember the story of Elijah. Verse 2, God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know that the scripture says in the passage about Elijah how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me. And then in verse 4, and what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. 
Now, Baal, you probably remember, is the false god that they worshiped back then, an idol whom they felt would make life work out exactly as they wanted. And that's what an idol is. An idol is simply a god whom you think you can control, will make life work out the way you want it to work out. We've got lots of idols today. They're not stone statues that we have on a mantle. They're popularity or money or power. And Elijah felt like everyone in Israel was following an idol except him. And God said, no, there are 7,000. There's 7,000 left who are still faithful to me. When Elijah thought none, God said there are 7,000, which is a reminder that God is doing much more in this world than you think, than you can see. Anytime you think God isn't doing anything, remember Elijah. And remember the fact that God is at work. In fact, Acts chapter 21, verse 20 is a reminder that in the day that Paul wrote this letter, the same was true. Thousands of the nation of Israel in that day, in Paul's day, had turned to him also. Acts 21, 20 says, when they had heard this, they praised God. And they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed. And all of them are zealous for the law. Same is true in our day. There are thousands, there are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who have a Jewish heritage who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. I have many friends who are Messianic Jews, Jewish heritage, but they have a faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So Paul's first proof is, I'm an Israelite. His second proof is, remember Elijah, there are thousands that you don't know of. And his third statement about the fact that God has not rejected his people is that there is now a remnant chosen by grace. In verses 5 and 6, he says, So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it's no longer by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. Now, there's this idea all throughout the Old Testament of something called a remnant. You hear about it in Elijah's day, this 7,000. You hear about it in the days of exile when Israel was exiled outside of its nation to foreign lands. There's always a believing few, a believing few thousand. A remnant, the picture of a small piece of cloth that's taken away from the whole, it's the idea that it's not a whole, it's a piece. A better picture, at least for me, of a remnant is a piece of pie. If you take away most of the pie, but there's one little piece left, it's a remnant of the pie. And I still enjoy the fact that a remnant is left, if that's the only remnant that's there. God's grace is the point that Paul is trying to make here as he talks about this remnant that has remained. Grace, he says, is the reason that they have been chosen. And he makes a very strong point here that grace plus anything is not grace. He helps them to understand that it's because of God's grace that lives have been changed and are continuing to be changed. And that it's only God's grace that can change a life. And if you add anything, it's not grace. That is important. Because you would not believe how many try to add to grace and still call it grace. Many false teachers will talk about, I believe in salvation by grace. But when you ask them, what do you mean by grace? They say, grace means believing God and, and then they add about seven or eight things that are works of man. What do you mean by faith, you ask? Faith means that you believe in Jesus Christ by, and then they add seven or eight things that we have to do in order to earn our way to heaven. Grace has to remain pure. You take a glass of crystal pure water and you add one drop of cyanide. Trust me, it changes the water. No matter how much someone assures you that it doesn't. You could add one drop and someone can say, trust me, it's still the same. A guy told me it doesn't do anything. It's never hurt anyone. Have you ever heard of it hurt anyone? Do you know anyone that's ever hurt? 
I'm sure, in fact, that it's probably better than the original. Anyway, it's just a drop. Why don't you try it? The danger of grace and works is this. You add one drop of works, and works means the things we try to do to earn our salvation. You add one drop of works to grace, it is no longer grace. Grace has to remain pure because God deals with all of us the same, and the same is by grace. We don't have a relationship with God based on our works, the things that we've done. Oh, he has works for us to do. He has things for us to do after we get to know him, but that's not what you build your relationship with God on. We have a relationship with God that's built on his grace. And so, as we end this look at the first few verses in Romans chapter 11, let's just thank God. Let's spend a few minutes in prayer thanking him for his grace. Right now, in this moment, between you and God, say, God, thank you that you have pure grace towards me. There's nothing I have to do to earn it. There's nothing I can do to earn it. And so right now, I rest in that truth. I accept your grace for this day. I am grateful for your grace on this day. And I pray for the opportunity to share your grace this day with someone else. Lord, forgive me for those times when I try to earn what can only be a gift, your gift of grace. I'm grateful for your love for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Tomorrow, we'll be looking together at Romans chapter 11, verses 7 to 15.